um, in church on a Sunday morning, and we are on the final sermon, final uh, installment of our Second Thessalonians series. Okay, and today it's gonna we're gonna end on a sermon entitled "Work Hard or Don't Eat." It says, it says there, work hard or don't eat. In fact, quite literally, Paul writes to the, Thessalon- to the church in Thessalonica and says, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? What a weird way to end the series, right? But maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's get into it. But before that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, but even greater than our love for you is your love for us. So Father, we come in adoration of you, we come uh, to align our hearts and to, and, and to snap back uh, to you, Father God. Father, we, we, we come to bring our best, our best attention, our best focus, our best part of our mind, the best part of our spirit, Lord God. Father, we want to come and offer you um, all that we are. We don't want to come in half measure. We want to come in full measure so that we can love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. Father, may you increase as your word is preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to read for you the text, but before that, I want to give you a bit of context. So, the the letter to the church in Thessalonica um, is the second one, right? We are in 2 Thessalonians, okay? And a previous letter has been sent stuff happens in between a second letter gets sent, okay? And today, we're going to look at some stuff from the first letter and then, the, and then stuff from the second letter. So, I'm going to read to you the earlier text that Paul wrote to this church. A little snippet from 2 Thessalonians 4. But we urge you, brothers, to do this, that is, loving each other more and more. You know what? I'm going to pause there. I'm going to just go back one slide. Earlier than this, just one line before this, Paul actually writes to the Thessalonian church in, uh, and he says, he says to them that, you know, concerning loving each other, I don't need to tell you anymore because you're already very good at it. Okay? Let me say that one more time. He says, concerning showing practical love to one another, you know, caring for one another, being mindful, looking after those who are weak, who are poor, who are, who are vulnerable. Actually, frankly, I don't need to teach you anymore because quite likely, you might even be better than me or you already got it. You are, this is your thing. This is your church culture. You are good at this. So I don't need to tell you more. And then he goes on to tell them other things. Today's sermon feels a little bit like that for me. Because we are SIBKL. We are a church that knows how to work hard. We are a church that, that, that since 2005, I think, 2005, where were you in 2005, right? Where were you in 2005? I was three years old, two years old and a half in SIBKL. And the church theme that year was moving forward with excellence. And, uh, and it was in that year, moving forward with excellence, um, that the, the expression, excellence glorifies God, was coined, right? And I was a fresh grad, freshy type of grad, 25 years old, new, having returned to KL, you know, after studying and all that. And wow, I walked into this church. Their church team is moving forward with excellence. Their tagline that everybody's saying is, excellence glorifies God. And everybody wants to do everything so well. 
everybody loves doing everything so well. The standards are set high. Why? Not because we are supposed to be exacting of each other, but because we want to give our best to God. And we believe that God is not a Chekai God. God is not a Saja Saja God. God is not a, 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 a mediocre God. He's not a, he's not a give half measures God. He is a God who gives lavishly. He is a God who gives excellently. And so, we say in this church that if we serve a God who is excellent, surely what we give to Him, what we bring to the table must also be excellent. In, in other words, we give the best that we know how to give. We give it all, right? It's not the same as perfectionism. Perfectionism is exacting of each other even more than you know how to give. You can't give anymore and we still want it. We don't want it. We don't want your perfection. We want your excellence. We want you to give your best to God. And when you give your best to God, and the world looks at a church like that, they say, your God must be something really lawbiasa. Because if your God, if you give this to your God, I can, only, I can only imagine what your God gives back to you. I want some of that for myself. And that's the spirit I come with today. Because today's sermon is really about telling the church, look guys, don't slack off. Look guys, don't shake your goyang kaki every day and, and mooch off the system. Look guys, whatever. I'm like, how to preach this to SIBKL, you know, where we have a long culture of giving our best, a long culture of working really hard, our hands are always on the plow, and, and if anything, I need to slow you down a little bit so that you don't, you don't burn out and, and we don't fall into the, to the perfectionism uh, 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 um, counterfeit, right? Nonetheless, the text is there. And I, and I want to be faithful. Uh, I didn't want to sidestep this topic. Um, so here we are standing in this presence as well, okay? So, let me click through. Alright. But we urge you brothers to do this. That is the loving each other part that they are already very good. That's their culture, right? And more, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly. And to mind your own affairs. And to work with your hands. As we instructed you. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So, there is already a culture seeping into this church in Thessalonica where they are good at loving each other. And it's possible that in the midst of loving each other and caring for each other, I think we saw in previous weeks that they were, they were overflowing in their charity and in their love to support those of who are weak, who are vulnerable, um, who, are, who need help, who need food aid, right? They are, many of them are on Kita Jaga Kita equivalent in Thessalonica in that day. And so, it's quite possible that in a culture where much aid is given, much help is given, much support is given, you have, a, you have some people who are mooching off that aid. You have people who are profiting from charity. And that's why, as they urge you to keep loving each other more and more, aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, don't catch out each other, don't be busybody, don't careful each other. And here's an interesting one, to work with your hands as we instructed you. So when Paul, Silas, Timothy were in Thessalonica. They already told them, they saw it already. They already taught them, work 
with your hands. In other words, do real work. Don't mooch off the system. Do real work as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders. Why? Because the world is watching the church. The world is looking at the church and they are thinking, what kind of God do they have? And when they see the church, they're going to form an evaluation of what kind of church they have. You, you have. And if what kind of church this is, tells them a lot about what kind of God they have. And so, they got to walk properly before the outsiders and what? Be dependent on no one. You see? You see, even in the early days, you can feel, you can taste it already. Now, he goes on to say a few other things about doing good works to each other. I'm just going to show you that. But I want you to bookmark this train of thought. Dependent on no one means some people are being dependent on each other, overly dependent maybe, okay? Let's look at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. In other words, respect those who are actually doing work. And are over you in the Lord and admonish you. These are the leaders, okay? These are the leaders. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, and admonish the idol. We urge you to admonish the idol. It means those who are, those who are you know, freeloading, admonish them. You know, straighten that out. Encourage the faint-hearted. This is different again, okay? Admonishing the idol, and then suddenly just encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, but be patient with all of them. And this was the first letter. And then... Stuff happens in between. Let's continue reading the first. Finishing off, let's finish off the first letter. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. There's an always theme here, okay? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And after this, Paul ends the letter by saying, I write this with my own hand. This is my style. I write it myself. I love you guys. He sends it off, right? Now, we know that that was the first letter. And then time passes. You would hope, Paul would hope that the first letter takes effect. Paul would hope that when the first letter is read aloud in church, that the working group and the non-working group and the can't work group, there are some people who don't work because they just can't, okay, for various reasons. And then there are those who can work but can't, but don't, okay. All of them hear this and then things change. The report goes back to Paul that, hey, guess what? Things are better. But in that in-between correspondence, Paul learns more about the church and he writes a second letter to the church. He says this, a snippet, 2 Thessalonians 3, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you, he's stronger now, okay, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, nor but with toil and labour we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, 
but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not going to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, but not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, to earn their own living. And for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. There is a lot of, of harmony between the first and second letter. There is a lot of repetition between the first and second letter, but there is also an intensification in the message in the second letter. Because now, he's not just saying, guys, get up and work. Work with your own hands. Do, live quietly. Now he's calling them out. Don't be busybodies in your idleness. Go and capo everybody and catch out the whole community and it's not helping the church. It's not helping the people. Earn your own living. Don't mooch off the aid. Right? And yet, do not grow weary in doing good. So Paul is holding this church's uh, culture in tension. He wants the church to keep blessing the, those who are truly vulnerable, those who are truly weak, those who are truly in need of aid. And yet, he wants to, he wants to, to work in the, in, the, in the lifeblood of this church to make sure that some toxic cultures do not start to spread. And so, I want to share with you today's message in three points. Three points that do not go like this. This is more scripture. Let me re finish reading the scripture first, okay? If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Was this quite strong, okay? I forgot to read this verse just now. Have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy but want him as a brother. We know, 2 Thessalonians, at the start, you are strong. You love each other. I pray that God will keep adding strength to you so that you overflow in your love for one another. And when it overflows from you, it will overflow in such a way that you are worthy of God's calling. Chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians. You become you start to see that you have a high calling. Your high calling is to love one another well. Your high calling is, is to represent Jesus and to, and to reflect Him, to make Him manifest wherever you go, right? So because of that, stand firm, hold on. There's a wind outside, there's persecution outside. Stand firm, hold on, don't go young, right? And along the way, He's going to give us a call. There is a gospel in the midst of all this, there is a gospel. It must go out. Paul himself is going to take it out. Pray for Paul. Pray for those who are taking the gospel out. Same for all of you in here. Continue to do the good work. Along the way, two warnings. The first warning is that lawless people will arise and eventually the man of lawlessness, the antichrist spirit and the antichrist man, eventually will arise. Be careful. Don't be hoodwinked. Don't be seduced by the things that will happen here. And the second warning is today's. It ends on a note of warning. So the first one is very big, cosmic, grand, top-down. There's going to be a man of lawlessness. 
he's going to come. He's going to swindle everybody with his counterfeit signs and wonders and all these things. And people are going to be lured and drawn to it because it looks so good. But along the way, you're going to have to let go of some of the truth that you have come to learn through the traditions that, that the apostles gave them. The second warning is not so much top-down. It's bottom-up. It's a cultural problem. The second warning is that there are those among you in your midst who are, who are starting to, 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 to breed and infect one another with the wrong kind of lifestyle that this church is not supposed to have. It's not supposed to have it. This, in a nutshell, is the flow of Second Thessalonians. And so, my three points. God, culture, honour, work, seek, goodness. On this note, Second Thessalonians ends. God, culture, honour, work, seek, goodness. The first one is to God, culture. Paul is intensifying his message to the church because in 2 Thessalonians, he says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you what? You keep away. Having told them once, guys, don't be idle. Don't slack off. You've got a body. You're able to work. Work. I don't want you to hang around and say, oh, I haven't found the perfect job yet. No, there's no perfect job. You have a body, steward it well, work. Earn your own living. Don't mooch off others. After some time has passed, he says, if these guys are still hanging around, still being idle, still mooching off the system, keep away from them. Cut them out. Later in the same letter, he says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him. Now, I asked myself when I saw this, I was like, how, huh? How, huh? Are we in the business of excommunicating people uh, in church? I thought that was the medieval era, uh, 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 kind of like European church. You excommunicate each other, you know. You put them out of fellowship. They cannot take communion and they cannot everything and you look at them like an enemy. But they told you, don't look at him as an enemy. Right? So what's going on here? Is, then if it's like that, then how? I thought we were supposed to be salt and light in the world. I thought we were supposed to be a city on a hill. I thought we learned from Ezekiel that you're supposed to go into the midst of, of a land in which you will be strange. You will be strangers in a strange land. Your culture is not their culture. And you're supposed to go in into their midst, build houses, live in the land, plant, plant your crops, and have your kids be in their schools and, and have your kids be in their playgrounds and you be in their workplaces and you infect this, this, this foreign culture, this strange land with the culture of Jesus Christ. This doesn't sound like it. This sounds like you want to create a holy huddle of Christians. I don't get it. Are you trying to tell us don't mingle with people outside the church and just like the one, you know, all these things, all this culture, all the one, the one, the one. I thought Jesus ate with the tax collector, ate with the prostitute. Are you saying that we cannot hang around with people who are morally not like us? And so I started to think about it, started to seek through my Bible, and I found something in, I think it's First Corinthians, where Paul is telling them another similar thing. The Corinthian church has another culture that is similar, yeah, comparable to what's happening in Thessalonica. Their problem in the Corinthian church was sexual immorality, okay? 
So that's not their problem, and this is not their problem. In the Corinthian church, um, they were a bit promiscuous, I suppose. They were a bit permissive. Uh, their boundaries between uh, 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 sexual relations was maybe very porous. And so Paul said this to the Corinthian church. I wrote to you in my letter, again, prior letter. Gosh, Paul's whole life is writing letters and then writing follow-up letters. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral in the world, of the world. Or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you will not need to go out to the world already. In other words, if, I, if what I meant was don't associate with the sexually immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters of the world, then you will have no life. You literally need to go into an underground bunker. You cannot meet anybody because all of these people are outside your doorstep in the, church, in the city of Corinth. And so Paul is saying, that's not what I meant. And so I can already imagine the little conversations in between the letters where Paul says, guys, don't associate with the sexual immoral. And then they're like, uh, like that, that I cannot law. I have to start my own Christian holy huddle and I dig my underground bunker because everything outside is so filthy, you know, and, I, and I'm doing this. And Paul's like, no, no, you misunderstand me. No, you misunderstand me because if you do that, then you will need to go out of the world already. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is... Now I'm writing to you again. Do not associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he's guilty of, sexually immor guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is in an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. The qualifying differentiator is if they say, I belong to Christ. If they say, I'm a Christian. If they say, Jesus is my Lord. If they say, I, I buy into the same God as you. Yay, we're the same God. Come ching, fist bump. Always drunk. Always reviling. Always in idolatry. Constantly greedy, immoral, and will not turn away from whatever hang-up that they had. Brother, we are brothers, right? We got the same God, right? Now, this part of your life, the Lord says something else. And I just want to lovingly bring this before you, you know, in the hope that the Lord can impress this upon you. No la, no la. And over and over and over again. First letter doesn't work, no effect. Second letter, no effect. Paul says, put them out. Why? Quite harsh. Why? What is really happening is that God, through Paul, is teaching the church how to guard culture. How to guard the culture of a church. So this is not about not associating with the people out there. You know I don't believe in holy huddles. You know I don't believe in Christian ghettos. Get out there. Be in the midst of the people out there. But guard the culture in the church. I was just in a session with all the, past, the whole pastoral team of SIBKL um, and we were, we were talking about church culture. We were talking about church culture and transforming culture and looking at the culture in our pastoral team, looking at culture in our staff team and some of these things. And so we went around asking ourselves, actually, what's culture? And, and, and you, get, you get a lot of different answers, of course, and most of them are kind of like, like pointing at the same thing. 
And so what culture is to me, which I'll, I, I will, I will kind of like semi-define it so that we understand what culture is. In every group of people, in every collection, there are influential people. And these influential people may be of official position. They may be not of official position. They may have a role, a formal role, like pastor in Sungai Buloh, worship leader, you know, head of ministry. You may have an official role or you may not have an official role. You may just be someone ordinary uh, uh, with no, no, no specific kind of like function to play in the church. Among them, there will be influential people. And influential people have values. And the things that they value the most will be expressed in the church. That's culture. The culture of any group is the expression of the most prized value of the most influential people in a gathering. That is culture in any place. That will, think about your workplace. Who are the most influential people? What do they prize the most? That's the culture in your workplace. And so, Paul is seeing that in this church, there is a culture of being idle. There is a culture of being, uh, uh, of being free, of freeloading. He's saying, I'm coming in here. I'm going to stamp this out. Why? Because there are influencers in your midst who are causing others, who are causing, setting the thermostat, so to speak. You know, in church, we always say, don't be a thermometer. You're always just taking temperature. Be a thermostat. You set temperature. You set temperature. So you walk in here, SIBKL, at Sungai Bulo, this is your church. You walk in here, you set temperature. So that if the world outside walks in, they are not coming in to go like, oh, guess what? Someone's always setting temperature. If you don't set temperature, someone else is setting temperature. Because temperature setting, like any other kind of vacuum, is going to get filled by someone. Nature abhors a vacuum. And the same applies for leadership. So it happens that yesterday I was in a, in a training session, a teaching session on leadership, right? Leadership too. Because our leaders at some point are going to have to go through leadership too as well, right? L2. Okay. And one of the things I was sharing is that leadership is influence. And influence is no respecter of good or bad, right or wrong, moral, amoral, or immoral. Influence is influence. And I got the, 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 the students, the, the, the guys in the class um, to break out into a small group and ask each other. And I asked them to share stories about someone who didn't have a formal position of leadership but was very influential, could either influence for good or for bad in a workplace situation for them. And, and, or, and one of the guys shared about when he was in military school. And when he was in military school, there was one guy who was very anti-establishment and he, he managed to round up all the other guys who were disgruntled with the military school and all that. I'm sure there were many, right? Military school, right? And he rounded them up and he managed to, to win their hearts 
and he and he started setting them challenge. If you can get out, break out from the dorm, avoid the warden by twelve at twelve in the middle of the night, such and such and such. Then up, then after a while, they started to do these pranks. They started to do to to to, to do all these things, and he and this guy started to rise in influence as a high status student in their midst. He wasn't a prefect. He wasn't a ketua daja or anything like that. He was just a normal guy, but with influence. Influence is no respecter of right or wrong, good or bad, moral, immoral, or amoral. Influence is influence. And influential people lead. Influential people set culture. Influential people set temperature. They are the thermostats. If you and I don't set the atmosphere in our church, if you don't set the atmosphere in your workplace, if you don't set the atmosphere in your neighborhood, someone else will. And then, my friend, it's free market. Whoever shouts loudest wins. Whoever is stronger wins. And that's why culture is always bottom up. It's always bottom it's, 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 okay. it's bottom up because it requires everyone to take initiative and responsibility. If you are part of a leadership of an organization, you will want to say it's top-down because we have to embody it and whatever we embody makes a difference. But guess what? In, if you embody it and someone else is embodying something else and then there's going to be a clash of cultures. And the same, that's exactly what's happening in the Corinthian church. That's exactly what's happening in, um, uh, the, um, in the... In the the Thessalonican church as well. And so uh, I'm, and so on this note, sorry, the team was just giving me a little bit of a memo on some problems with the slides. So I'm just trying to process the two at the same time. And so, church, be very mindful. Be very mindful. And I always say this you are not just being coming in here for church. Huh? All this is not just for church. Huh? I teach you all these things, it's not for church. You read your Bible, it's not for church. God grow you, it's not just for church. God grow you, is for outside, you know. This is training day, that's match day, you know. This is training ground, you know. You go outside and you set thermostat outside. You set temperature outside. You set cultures outside. Set godly cultures wherever you go. And so, the first point is this, right? That we guard culture. The second point, don't worry about the TV. First point is, guard culture. Second point, who got the second point just now? Just check. Was that? Was that? That's right, right? And what, what's the third point? So good. What a culture. What a good culture in church. Taking notes during sermons, you know, being able to remind your pastor when he doesn't have a screen to remember. Love you guys so much. <laughs> God, culture, honor, work, seek goodness. Second point is this. Honor, work. The whole crux of the problem in uh, the, the, this church is that there were enough people who did not honour the meaning of meaningful work. And because of that, they felt that, oh, it's okay. Now, if I ask you, if you got um, one B, okay, if some, by, by some stroke of remarkable fortune, one billion dropped onto your lap. In other words, not only are you sorted, you and your next multiple generations technically are kind of sorted. You're kind of sorted. 
right? One B, you're done. You can have enough property. You can everything can generate itself. You're fine. You're fine forever, essentially. What would you do? I know if you play this as an icebreaker game, somebody go, oh, I'm just gonna chill. I'm just gonna go and have a beach holiday forever. I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna do nothing for the rest of my life. Wrong answers. Wrong answers. Funny answers. We can laugh about it. It's okay. In a, in, in, uh, if you're not taking it too seriously. But the moment you really have to take it seriously, wrong answer. And I want to speak this. Now, there aren't many here who are in their early 20s. So I don't think I really need to make a big deal about this. But the day will come when you have nephews, nieces, who are in their late teens, early 20s, and they have a dream. And their dream is to retire at 30 is to become a multi-multi-millionaire and become like some, some, some corporate icon, success story by 35, some kind of whatever you want to call it. And then I'm going to retire and I'm going to go on a cruise ship for the rest of my life. What a sorry way to spend 50 years of your remaining life. What a sorry, terrible way to spend the rest of your life doing squat. That is not how God called for us. Not how God called for us. He calls for us to live meaningful lives where we do meaningful work, where we live a high calling. And so, my friends, what is the worth of work and where do we get it from? God. You want to rewind this? Rewind from Thessalonica all the way back to creation? You can find yourself in Genesis chapter 1 where God creates all the raw materials and He says, good, 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 good. And then He bursts. He, he, he bursts from breath and word. Adam and then Eve. And then He says, very good. And then He gives them their first vocation. Tend to my created order. Tend to my created order. Sculpt it. Shape it. Steward it. Grow it. Design it. Work it. Do things upon it that will cause it to flourish. The first instruction upon them is a call and a mandate for work. Work is a good thing. And then sin took place by Genesis 3. The curse is spoken. You work the ground. You will sweat on your brow. You will till the land. It will not bear the fruit that you expected it to, to, to bear. And so on it goes. And then suddenly you realize work is laborious. Work is painful. Work is trying. I'm just going to get my... Actually, team, you know what, team? Just get the TV off and uh, maybe a music stand uh, would be helpful. Then I can just have this and we can not be distracted by what's going on. Work was always meant to be a joy. It's okay, stay on me. It's okay, just stay on me. Work was always meant to be a joy. How many of you, you love your jobs? Raise your hands. Thanks so much, Kay. Yeah. How many of you, you love your jobs? Raise your hands. All the way, stretch your hands all the way up. All the way up, you love your job, okay? Work is meant to be a joy. Now, I understand if you don't love your job. 
So it's okay if you don't love your job, but work is still important. And when we say that work is important as Christians, what we really mean is that your work has to be an extension of your worship here on Sunday. You go out there, you worship, you go out there, you work. You're like, huh? Why is this work? work? It's not the same, right? Because I want to come to church and worship. But when I go to work, my boss is yelling at me. People shout at me for no reason. They, they, they swear at each other. And, they, and, and there's all this work. And I've got the stupidest clients in the whole world. You've, if you think that your clients are bad, you haven't met mine, you know. Um, I, 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 used to, I used to be a designer. And I used to go on this blog uh, called uh, Clients from Hell. And one of and clients from hell um, is a block of designers uh, ranting. <laughs> I want to say a different word about their clients. And one of them, which stuck to me until today, is that uh, the client was standing behind the designer, um, and the designer was showing the client the the work, right, a, a product packaging uh, on the screen, and the client wanted to illustrate how the client wanted it to be done and said, no, no, you're doing it wrong and pulls out a marker pen and draws on the, on the computer screen. Like, it needs to be like this. <laughs> that, that made it into clients from hell, a blog, right? And I remember that until today. Oh my goodness. Would you, would you absolutely be mortified and create, you, 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 would, you would cut the contract right there, okay? Like you would you make the pay damages for your, for, for, for your computer. Insane. How is work worship like that? How on earth can work actually be worshipful like that? Would you, you, serving up work to these kind of clients is worshipful, man? You know what God says? He says in Ephesians chapter 5, I think. He says, slaves and masters treat each other right. He says, Christian masters, don't abuse your slaves. Treat them right. So by the way, huh, it's questionable whether the slavery in uh, first century uh, 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 AD, especially under Christian uh, 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 slave owners, looks like the kind of slavery that we see today where you've got people trafficking and all that. Now, I'm not condoning one over the other. I'm just saying that we need to culturally remap to the realities of that day. He says, Christian slave masters, treat your, your slaves right. Slaves, Christian slaves, treat your master right. And when you do work for your master, don't think of it as doing for your master. Think of it as doing it for me. And that's a game changer. That's a complete game changer when the instruction for you is to give your work as worship to God. So, it doesn't matter if your client is a client from heaven. They're like so good. They listen to you. First draft, they say, oh, so nice. I love it. Let's do it. No need already. Yeah, no, no, no need whatever already. Actually, this can be on the floor and that'll be great. Yeah, all right. Um, uh, that would be the best. And if you maybe, maybe, just maybe you can enjoy your work if your client was a client from heaven, right? But for client from hell, eh, the one who take out the pen and starts drawing on your laptop screen, how, right? God says, the work that you do for them, give it to me. Do good work for me. Give it as your worship to me. In the same way, you walk into SIBKL and you hear everybody saying, excellence glorifies God. 
and then you meet this client, you say, I give you check guy work. I give you rubbish work because you are a rubbish client. Remember just now you said right at the bottom, do not repay evil for evil. Right? 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 You say, I give you rubbish work, client, because you are a rubbish client. And God says, but I'm not a rubbish God. Unless you think I'm a rubbish God. No, God. Of course, why would I ever say, then don't give me rubbish work. I wasn't giving you rubbish work. I was giving my rubbish client rubbish work. No, I received your rubbish work. I didn't send it to you. You sent all to me. You really do send all to me. I didn't know. Well, now you know. You send all to God. And even if you try to not send all to God, He has a way of receiving all from you. And that's why work has to be an extension of your worship. If you are going to bring your best to the church, please bring your best to your workplace. Please bring your best to your family and your domestic space and your domestic chores and your domestic familial relations. Please bring your best to your in-laws. He receives that too. Please bring your best to your neighbor whose cat keeps coming over to your lawn and taking a tandas, have tandas action in your garden. Bring your best to them. God receives that too. And the reverse is also true. If you're accustomed to bringing your best to work and then bringing slipshod stuff to the church, saying that in church there's a lot of grace, in church there's a lot of uh, 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 forgiveness, it's okay, we can just, uh, it's okay one lah. In church, you know, you know we, are, we, are, we have lower standards because we just are more kind towards each other. No, if you are accustomed to bringing your best to church, to work, bring your best to church as well. Be integrated human beings. Bring your best everywhere you go. Can Sungai Bulo Church. Can Sungai Bulo Church. Amen. Amen. Appreciate the honor of work because God gave you two able hands, two able feet, and a very able mind. I know you guys have extremely able minds. Work. Do your best. Steward your mind. Steward your hands, steward your life, steward your youth, steward your relative youth and use it for the glory of God. No idleness, no slacking off. And in our modern day context, I don't think any of you are idle. I don't think any of you are mooching off some kind of social service kind of thing. But when you go to work, what posture do you bring? Bring your best for God. Amen? The first point, God, culture. The second point, oh, Amazon Prime. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Let's be patient with one another, right? Be patient with them all, right? Yeah. Thanks so much. Can we give the team a hand? Can we give the team a hand? We had so many technical difficulties today. Before you guys walked in, the internet went down four times. And when we reset it, it got back online three times slower than it normally does. 
we were sweating, I was sweating buckets, okay, because just before icebreaker, I was thinking, is that going, even going to be an online service today? And today we're having some of these problems, and so let me just keep going on, right? I had a bunch of different things to say, don't worry about it. Um, okay, thanks so much to the team, okay? Yeah, I'll just let you guys click through. I'm going to give the team a chance to click through. We toil and labor, work night and day. We esteem them very highly. Work for a living. Working for a living is the oldest call. We've done this. Click. Next one. We honor work. Then the next one. Let's click on. Yep. Okay, yeah. Just the slide before this. Slide before this. Honor work. Quiet, productive work is an important witness to the world. Now, I want to give you a little... A, a little side story. Remember that somewhere in the Thessalon Th Thessalonian letters, there was talk about what people understood as rapture. People thought in from First Thessalonians that, oh, something's going to happen. People are going to be caught up in the air. We don't really know exactly how it's going to happen, but the impression that people got is that everyone's just going to suddenly disappear. And then in Second Thessalonians, Paul corrects it and says, no, 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 guys. Clearly, that's not what I meant. And clearly, even if that's what I meant, it hasn't happened yet. You have not missed anything. When it actually comes, it will be very obvious that it's not, that's not what it means, okay? And then he goes into some other train of thought. Some scholars believe that the people in Thessalonica were starting to kick back because they thought, yeah, end of the world coming already anyway. So let's just go young kaki until end of the year. End of the year, but end of the world. That's what was taught. Now, I've heard even modern-day Christians among our generation say things like, Ayah, no need to do this, this, this thing. When we talk about like, want to do things for the kingdom, do things for the church, do things for, build for the future, build two, three generations down the line, you know, for the, for the good of, of our grandchildren's generation. I literally have heard Christian leaders Reply to me, say, not, not, not to my below, by the way, okay? okay? People outside our church, but Christian, uh, people outside, outside our community here, but, but they say, ayah, no need one lah, but then Jesus come already lah. So irresponsible. So irresponsible. Because you know what? You want to hedge? your grandchildren's generation on your speculation that Jesus is going to come back in our lifetime? I know there are signs. Look, I'm not stupid. I know there are signs. But guess what? There have been signs for the last four, five, six hundred years. There have been signs for the last five, five, two thousand years. In Jesus' own generation, they thought it was going to come back soon. They thought when they, thought, when they heard Revelation, you know, and, they, and the, the book of Revelation ends with, I'm coming soon. They thought it was like soon, like soon, like soon, our lifetime soon. And then a few hundred years passed and they are still waiting. Every generation thought it was coming in their lifetime. And I'm sure in every generation, there was some Christian leader who said, Ayah, no need one lah, by then Jesus come already. No, no, that's not, the, if that is a culture here, no, I'm stamping that out, man. I'm like totally taking today to stamp that out. That will not be our culture. We are going to work for the next generation. 
We are going to work for their next generation. We are going to sow seeds with, with, that take root and those roots are going to go so deep. It's going to go so deep so that if Jesus were to come in 20 generations' time, our work will still be prevailing. That's the kind of church that we want to grow. I'm not going to hedge their, their, their faith on our speculation. Huh? We are not. That's not responsible. And if we plunge so deep, so deep that it could last 20 generations and Jesus comes in 2024. And he goes like, hi guys. We're like, hi Jesus. And then he says, I've seen your roots. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I like your roots. You built deep roots. Is that SIBKL at Sumai Bulo? You guys want to be that kind of church? I want us to be that kind of church. Amen? Amen? We will keep going on the slides, okay? Let's just click through it. Let's just click through it. Let's go to the last point. Seek goodness. This one, I'll need the slides, so I really want to thank the team very much. In the midst of all this, what is our call? SIBKL, you all know, we know, we're a hardworking church. As I said to you all just now, I don't really need to teach you all or tell you all to work harder. We work very hard. If anything, sometimes we work too hard. And then we need to slow down and rest and learn the value of Sabbath. How many of you enjoy Sabbath? How many of you, over the last two weeks, you have learned to enjoy Sabbath rest a little bit more? Yeah? I think some of you have. And so, What's the call over our lives? Hand on the plow. Don't keep looking back. Look back at what? Look back at the past. Look back at past failures. Look back at past opportunities. Look back at other opportunities. Look back at that, that deal that could have become a million bucks deal, that could have become a 10 million bucks deal, that could have become a 1B deal, right? I have a friend whose husband um, uh, was kind of in almost in partnership with an F&B chain that at that time was like nowhere, right? Um, and the F&B chain eventually, her husband said, "No, nah, I don't want to. I, I don't want to be involved in this venture." And that F&B chain grew. It grew so big. It, it started to have outlets in every single shopping mall. And I think they've ex extended regionally. They are huge. You know, I don't know if they are as huge now as they were about 10 years ago, but they, are, they, they, they became really big. And this friend sometimes will turn to me and say, remember my husband uh, was almost involved in this? Missed it. Now, I'm going to ask you, when your hand is on your plow, and you've got a certain kind of ground beneath you. You are putting new seeds into the ground in front of you. You have unplowed land in front of you. Do you want to keep turning back and looking at that deal that you missed out? So if you keep turning back, your plow is going to go off course. Keep your eyes on the ground. Keep your eyes in front of you. There's a lot of things behind you for you to regret. I assure you that. There's a lot of things in behind you where you can look and say that, what if this? What if that? What if that? If I did this, what if? What if? What if? Hands on the plow. Eyes on the ground. Eyes on the ground, meaning that there are people with needs 
around you. Be attentive to them. Like the Thessalonican church. Be attentive to the needs around you. What is our call? If I say work, don't be idle, work. Work, not sloppily, but give it to God. And then I say, what then is our work? What is my calling? One day, I'm a consultant. Next day, I'm in banking. Next day, I'm freelancing. Next day, I'm something else. My work, my vocation keeps changing. It keeps changing because I'm, I'm just that kind of person. Or one of you may be in this, then the other person may be in something else. What then is our one enduring call? It endures throughout all the different workplaces you have been to. It keeps on enduring. It is to seek for goodness. So next slide, please. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always, remember I told you the always, there's a repetitive pattern to what Paul is saying here. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I don't know if you remember this. There was a same expression, one another and to everyone in chapter one. Suddenly remembered this expression, one another and to everyone. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Bless the body, bless the world. Serve each other, serve everyone else. That's the call. Rejoice always. Now, you may not feel like I can rejoice always. Some days I'm feeling blue. And this is not a call to strong arm you. Strong arm you into kind of like, oh, I come to church, I have to put on a fake smile, you know, uh, because Bible says rejoice always. No, that's not what I mean. I don't want that. I don't want to do it. If you're feeling blue, I want you to walk in and just say, Pastor, I'm feeling really blue and we want to love you. We want to meet you where you are. We want to love you where you are. And then allow someone else to set the thermostat for you, right? And lift your spirits up, right? Rejoice always. Meaning the spirit of joy. God will come through for me, right? Is there. Pray without ceasing. And what that means, some people think, oh, 24-hour prayer chain, everybody must always pray. Not necessarily, right? Pray without ceasing means you have a lifestyle of constant bringing to God in prayer. Whatever you're doing, bring to God in prayer. So we sometimes joke, looking for parking, also pray. It's okay. Bring to God in prayer. But make sure you're not only praying for parking, lah, huh? you're praying for the people in the car park as well. You're praying for the land, for the, for, 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 for the nation. You're praying for each other. You're praying for the sick. You're praying for your family. You're praying for your children. And you're praying for 20 generations later. Pray ceaselessly. Have a lifestyle like a rolling boil. Like a rolling boil. The water keeps Have a rolling boil lifestyle of prayer. Give thanks in all circumstances. Which is a very strange one because I think we can give thanks for some circumstances. And then on some other circumstances, we'll be like, how am I going to give thanks for internet going down? How am I going to give thanks for my slides going all over the place? For the TV days, for the TV that? How am I going to give thanks? You know what, guys? I give thanks. I give thanks for my slides getting all jumbled up because it forced me to be really attentive to what I'm saying. And I'm, I 
cannot. Today, I could not autopilot. I could not autopilot and let the slide lead me. I had to let the Holy Spirit take over my mind and lead me. I could not. I'm going to give thanks to God for that. Because many other days, I have technology to kill me. Today, I don't have a cue. I have to be active and present with you. And I have to be active and present before the Lord. The way He is active and present among us. Amen? I'm going to give thanks to God for that. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Allow God to do His work. Don't manufacture the Spirit. Sometimes in church, we like to talk about atmosphere, atmosphere, lights, smoke machine, moving heads. And all that is great if it doesn't distract you. But you know what's the most important atmosphere? God in the house, that's the most important atmosphere. I think all of us can agree on that. To not quench the spirit sometimes is also to not manufacture the spirit with a human form of architecting spirit. Let's be very careful that we don't prefabricate what kind of outcomes we want to see in church. But we can allow the spirit to come and sometimes we have a role to set the atmosphere. Sometimes we have to know when to step back and say, Holy Spirit, now you move. And when you move, I'm not going to put my hand in. You move. When you come, it's holy. I'm not even going to move. I'm not going to do anything. When you move, you move. Amen? Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. There'll be another day we'll talk about that. But hold fast to what is good. Don't let it go. With this, I'm going to close. Church, I want to pray I want us all, to all pray together. Can you just lift up your hands in front of you? I want to pray for your workplace. I want to pray for your role in your workplace. If there's anyone among you, you are struggling um, to find meaning in what you are doing. If there's anyone among you, you are struggling to, uh, uh, you're in between jobs, don't know what's next. You're unsure about your, 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 your call, your vocational call, the next thing in your life. Oh, you know what you're supposed to do, but it's just so hard. It's just been a real swimming. It's just been swimming uphill. The whole season of your current workplace situations, you have just been swimming uphill. It's just been so hard. Church, I want to pray for you. Hold your hands out. Team, I don't want us to be distract, distracted with the, with the screen. We don't need lyrics. We're just gonna, they're just going to sing. We're just going to worship, okay? Let's not be distracted by that. I want to pray for every single one of you. Father, I just want to bring before you everything that we are going through. And to keep our eyes on you, Lord God. For those among us who are struggling in a workplace situation, you have a difficult boss or client, it's killing you. You're losing your heart for what you do. You're not sure if you even want this anymore. You don't know what you want anymore. I want to pray 
over you that God will release for you a vision. A vision for what's coming up next. A vision for what He wants to do through you and, and in you. I pray that He will open up a door for you and it may or may not be a door to leave the current place of work or to leave the current industry, but I pray the Lord will open a door for you and He will lead you through it. He will lead you through it so that you can step out of the place of uncertainty into a place of assurance that He is with you and He is leading and guiding you. For those of you, if you are unsure, if you are unsure about what's happening at your workplace, there is a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of instability, and it's causing you, it, it might be a volatile thing happening in your whole industry, and you're not sure whether you want out, whether you can still hang on, and if you hang on, what kind of capital, what kind of spiritual capital you're going to need, what kind of mental capital you're going to need to weather this storm. I want you to know that the Lord is going to be in you and through you for the sake of His own name. He is jealous for His own reputation in your workplace and in your industry and He has placed you there for a purpose. And He's going to use you for a high calling. Some of you are working and studying or you are still just studying and you don't know what's next. And you're afraid because every day you think your performance hangs on, hangs on, on the line and you're scared. You're scared that if you don't do well, this applies to us, if you're studying or working, you're afraid that your performance will not be able to go up and, and improve and that people are watching and everyone's evaluating you and it's very pressurizing because you don't know how to bring it up. You don't know how to make it better. I speak this over you. May the Lord bring people around you to upskill you, to strengthen you, to give you pointers, to lead you, to coach you, to guide you and to improve you so that you can learn, you can grow and I want you to rest in the assurance that your growing and your leading is a lifelong journey. It's not just for now. And if you see people more senior than you, they are also still learning. And if you see people with white hair all around you, they are also learning. And they will be learning and we will be learning until our deathbed. And on your deathbed, surrounded by your loved ones, you are still not finished yet. All of us are growing. All of us are learning. And I want to speak this over you. If you feel a sense of urgency and panic, and impatience with yourself, the Lord is patient with you. Father, I just pray, Lord God, that all of us will give our best work and our best worship. Always, we'll give our best work to you. Receive the work of our hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain in, a, remain in an attitude, a posture of worship. For just a moment, I know it's we've run a little long today. Please forgive me. But I don't want to quench the Spirit, what He's doing in our midst. Holy Spirit, move. I want us to be attentive to what God is saying to us right now. Don't trivialize it. Hold on to it. Hold fast. 
Father, I thank you for the word that you are releasing over us. Father, I thank you. And I pray that you will help us to hold fast to the word you are releasing over us right now. Father, may you help us tomorrow on a Monday when we go back to our weekday rituals. Waking up early, going to work, giving something to our bosses and clients, giving something to our staff. I pray that something will be our best worship to you. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His countenance toward you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.